So I take it you all are interested in joy, appreciative joy, mudita, the third of these four Brahma-Vihara practices. And last night, was it just last night, I talked about this diamond model of the way these four practices are arranged with metta at the bottom, metta turning towards what's difficult, flowers as compassion, metta turning towards what's going well, flowers as mudita, joy, often translated as sympathetic joy or altruistic joy appreciative joy, sometimes just gladness. So compassion and appreciative joy are opposite points of that diamond. And we can see in that model there's an invitation to open to the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys. And because perhaps of our inbuilt negativity bias, many of us are much more comfortable paradoxically, with opening to suffering than we are to opening to happiness. So last night I talked about the vulnerability that can come when we start to open up to the full spectrum of our human experience. So remembering back to the overview of the practices that I gave you that's on the board out there, Caroline Jones and Paul Burroughs, They describe mudita as the love that celebrates, the love that celebrates, that appreciates, and it's an antidote to envy. It is not competitive. If it slides into agitated excitement, upeka or equanimity brings the heart back into balance. So mudita is the love that celebrates. And traditionally, it's been presented as the love that celebrates other people's happiness and good fortune. And although this might seem counterintuitive at first, as we experiment with this practice of appreciating other people's happiness, we can start to experience how that it increases our own happiness too. So you might remember that quote I gave from Shantideva the other night. All the joy the world contains has come through wanting happiness for others. All the misery the world contains has come from wanting pleasure for oneself. So this capacity to celebrate other people's happiness and good fortune has many benefits. Because when we are able to activate this quality of mudita, of appreciative joy, our sense of separation and our sense of lack can diminish. We feel more connected to other people, kinder and more generous. And these are all skillful mental states. You could say different aspects of the sukha I talked about a few nights ago, those skillful mental states that develop wisdom. And then we can understand the truth of interconnectedness, more clearly. We stop taking our problems quite so personally and we recognize that all beings want to be happy just as we do. A mudita can also act as a powerful catalyst for the awakening factor of joy, piti, to arise. So in this way, mudita can very directly support insight practice.
So coming back to this understanding of mudita as appreciative joy, in the way we conventionally practice it, we're not supposed to include ourselves in the category of people that we offer it to. And when I first heard this, I thought it was strange because everywhere else in the Buddha's teachings were instructed not to make a distinction between ourselves and others. That's actually one of the radical aspects of the teachings that I appreciate, that we should always include ourselves in kindness and compassion and so on. So when I heard this idea of not including oneself in mudita, I asked a Pali scholar at the Barry Center for Buddhist Studies, what does this word mudita mean in his understanding? And he said it's just simple gladness. And the word itself doesn't originally have any connotation of for another. So I found out later that this understanding of it as being for other people comes from the Vasudhimaga, which is also where the whole technique of using these reciting phrases comes from. It's a later development after the time of the Buddha. And as uh, I shared the other day, the actual practice that as far as we know is closest to what the Buddha taught is just the radiating energy method. So similar to the instructions the other day, one abides with a heart-mind imbued with gladness and then pervade one quarter, so the compass directions, all around the world, above, below, around and everywhere, to all as to myself. Those are the traditional, the original instructions. And again, to be able to just kickstart, to go straight into abiding with a heart imbued with gladness can be quite a challenge. So in the Vasudhimaga, this idea of reciting phrases grew up. And traditionally, the phrases are things like, I'm happy that you're happy, or may your happiness and joy continue, may they never leave you, may your good fortune shine. And when I worked with these phrases, I found them quite hard to connect with. They felt a little bit sort of superficial and ungrounded in a way, so... I'll offer you the phrases that I uh, have developed for myself and just see, as I'm, I've been emphasizing, everything that I'm offering in these practices is really a template and you're most definitely invited to be creative and to work with these and find your own way into the practices. So this idea of cultivating happiness for other people's good fortune and so on, it can, um, as I've been emphasizing, these practices are what we call purification practices. So they are designed to show us what gets in the way. And because many of us do have that sense of lack, of inadequacy, of competitiveness, of idealism and perfectionism, when we start to try to celebrate other people's happiness and good fortune, it doesn't always come so easily. It might directly trigger that sense of somehow missing out. But 
But if we can do it, as the Dalai Lama famously said, this practice increases our opportunities for happiness seven billion to one. <laughs> seven billion being the approximate number of people in the world. So we're no longer just as dependent on our own happiness to be happy. So what? Um, one of the surprising things for me is that if we really look, no matter what our external circumstances might look like from the outside, I think as a, when we tune into what's actually going on moment to moment, independent of our ideas about them, there's a lot that we can appreciate. So that's one reason why we did the exercise a few days ago of tuning into pleasant feeling tone. Because when we really connect with what's happening at all six sense doors and what registers as pleasant, there's actually a lot going on. Very small, simple things, but just that turning our attention in that direction can immediately bring up this sense of gratitude, of appreciation, of joy. And I had a surprising um, understanding of this when I was working with uh, in the prison and I was offering these Brahma-Vihara practices to the guys. And I was, it was early on in my teaching there, so I wasn't very familiar with them at that stage. And as we were getting closer to appreciative joy, I was feeling nervous, like, how can I teach guys in prison to feel appreciative? You know, that's cruel and that was a big um, misperception because many of them completely connected with the practice and when I brought it when I introduced it the first time you could not stop them talking they were just falling over themselves to tell me about things that they appreciated in their experience was one of the most lively sessions that I did So one of the men talked about how much he appreciated having a clean pair of socks every morning because on the street he didn't have that. And every morning he would put on his socks and feel this sense of gratitude. Another guy talked about the joy he felt when a squirrel would come to his windowsill every morning and ask to be fed and he would save it little bits of food and then feed it through the window. And somebody else described how they were assigned to a different bunk. So um, some of these guys were in dorms of 52 men, all in bunks. And he was assigned to a top bunk from a bottom bunk. And he said at first he was bummed because, you know, it's tedious having to climb up there every night. But he said the first night he got up there, he realized that the bunk was alongside a window and the lower half of the window had bars, but the top half didn't. So he could lie in bed at night and look out at the stars and forget that he was inside. And that brought him happiness. So there's a lot we can appreciate in the context of our own lives if we just make the effort to turn our attention in that direction. So we'll start with working with someone we feel close to, feel a natural sense of appreciation for. I'll call this the good friend again, but this time we're going to focus on a good friend 
whose life is currently going well in various ways. And of course, nobody's life is 100% going well all the time. So you're going to be invited to connect with the aspects of their life that are going well. And if you find your attention drifting to other things, then just gently bring it back to their success, their good fortune, and so on. And the phrases I'll be using are, I am happy for your happiness. I take joy in your good fortune. May your joy continue. May it grow. May it lead to ever-increasing ease and freedom. So this, phrase, this word joy for some people is a stretch. It was for me in the beginning of this practice. It wasn't just, it just didn't feel like a word that was part of my kind of psychological makeup. But again, with practice, this repeated attuning to, getting familiar with, started to be uh, more available to me. And now I appreciate it as an invitation to sort of lift myself more towards that, um, towards that quality. But if joy at this time doesn't work for you, you can just think of it as simple gladness or something that is a little more accessible. And when we were doing the compassion practice, working for the good friend, I suggested you work with somebody whose suffering is at a five or less on the scale of zero to ten. With this practice, you don't need to hold back. Go for a ten. So see if you can find someone who's really... Uh, whose life is really going well and really feel happy for that. Okay, let's uh, give it a go.